they are big businesses that make, I mean, millions and millions of dollars a year. This is a this is a billion dollar business. Welcome to the corner booth, where conversation is on the house, and everybody has a story to tell. Your party approaches a river crossing. You're surrounded by ruins, some ancient, some quite new. When suddenly, a blue dragon approaches. The beast hisses fire and swallows smoke. Roll the dice to see what happens next. Originally published in 1974, Dungeons and Dragons would go on to change and influence the gaming industry forever. What was once considered a lost relic of the 1980s is now enjoying its greatest popularity ever. Why are games like Dungeons and Dragons more popular than ever? Well, I decided to ask an expert. Today, I'm talking to game designer John Cohn and co-founder of Bread and Circuses Games. We're going to talk a little bit about what makes Dungeons & Dragons so popular this day and age, how he made his hobby his job, and if you're an aspiring game designer, how you might be able to get your foot inside the industry's door too. It seems like... In the last decade or so, tabletop games, board games, are even more popular, are, are more popular than they've ever been, even in since the heyday of Dungeons and Dragons in the 80s. Now, I have my own theory about why that might be, but what do you, how do you explain their boom in popularity over the last decade? Yeah, so for me, I think it comes from, honestly, from a background of video games. I grew up playing a lot of video games and mostly really enjoyed having that kind of couch experience with my friends where we're all hanging out together in the same room playing the same game, playing GoldenEye or Mario Party uh, or one of those kinds of games. And then somewhere around the mid-2000s, the video gaming culture landscape changed radically when online gaming became really popular. All of a sudden, you stopped having people coming over to each other's houses and having like real face-to-face -face experiences to play games. It instead became, you know, log on to your Xbox account and we'll play with a bunch of 12-year-olds who are, are saying really deeply insulting things about my family. <laughs> you know, that um, experience that I think a lot of people, especially in my generation, grew up on, um, that kind of experience disappeared. I think for, for a lot of us, uh, the board gaming renaissance came out of wanting to get back to those days when I could hang out with my friend on my couch or, or a couple of friends and have an experience to do something, have a reason to be getting together, playing something, having that shared thing that we're all doing. I think that that's really where the new board game renaissance began. See, that makes sense to me because you're probably too young to really remember going to arcades a lot as a kid, right? Yeah, we had an arcade uh, near our high school that people used to hang out and I was kind of coming in on the tail end back when uh, all the dancing games really became popular right. so all like the dance dance revolution and some of those uh, like star wars where you sit in a big pod and you're doing stuff like that was kind of the arcade experiences i knew i wasn't really doing the pinball you know kind of the the arcade standing games as much being a bit older harken back always to the, the arcade experience because it was that thing you did with your friends and i guess so is something like dungeons and dragons is that what you got started with so dungeons and dragons um i got i got started a little late in life on D and D. Uh, it, it certainly is kind of the the big one. I feel like as far as bringing gamers community into the community and being the sort of gateway drug that gets you over that hump. Yeah. So it was in college that I started, and and you know Dungeons and Dragons is actually 
actually having its most fiscally successful year since it was created back in the 1980s. Which is crazy to think about because I remember growing up in the 80s, the entire stigma about Dungeons and Dragons was don't go near it. It was evil. It was going to get you killed. My father is a model railroader and we used to go to the, the same hobby shops that he would get his trains at. They would have the miniatures and the books, but they were always like in the back behind a curtain and there were always weird kids that looked like they you know set fires buying that stuff and <laughs> now it's so different and now it's where to change well i think a lot of it is cultural perception back in, especially also the rules have become a lot more accessible to audiences it's a lot of math when you come at it and you've never played these kinds of games before there's a lot of math involved there's a lot of if you're not already established into gaming whether it's video gaming board gaming some form you know there's a lot of concepts that get tossed out right at the get-go it's like what's my what's my health points why why do i have magic points or why can i only cast these spells why do i have to roll this dice to do this thing it can be overwhelming if you haven't done it before so i think the reason why it's gotten so popular is twofold first the math and all of the complexity has been way scaled back the game now is more akin to a i would say a collaborative storytelling experience than it is being a a kind of meaty hefty mathy type of thing Uh, the other big reason is just culture. Culture has changed things, concepts like attack, defense, strength, dexterity, intelligence, all of these concepts. We've played video games. We've seen all the movies. These words are kind of in our lexicon now, um, and it's not such a hurdle to explain to somebody that you're going to have to roll a 20-sided die to see if you hit, and then roll another die to see how much damage you deal. Like That might have been something that felt very heavy and weird in the 80s, but now so many games have, have been influenced by Dungeons & dragons that it's sort of become a really shorthand lingo for a lot of people i I remember the first time i heard somebody say the word 20-sided dice i had to sit there scratch my head for a week figuring out what the hell that might look like (laughs) do you attribute any of like the return of tabletop gaming to the say the success of like how marvel films have made things like comic book characters mainstream accessible in a way that they weren't before i mean it's no longer just a subculture oh absolutely even as as far back as uh in the late 90s, you watch a show like uh, Freaks and Geeks that came out. <laughs> you know, you had the the geeks. They were the people who were these kind of sh- social outcasts, these these people that nobody really wanted to hang out with. And then all of a sudden, the Marvel movies in particular started coming out, and all of a sudden superheroes were cool, and comic books were cool. I think uh, people also started to understand that fandom is fandom, and whether you're a big fan of sports or you're a big fan of superheroes, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, you know, some of us go out to Comic-Con and we wear crazy costumes of our favorite comic book characters, but I don't see how that's any different to somebody going to their favorite sports game and dressing up just like their favorites sports hero and and putting on uh, makeup and all of that stuff. It's all the same as far as fandom goes, right? So it's just been kind of a progress to get to where people are open and accepting of whatever it is that you're into. Explain to me how Dungeons and Dragons is any different than fantasy football. Exactly. It's kind of not, really. You're a fullback instead of a wizard, but... Right. And so when we play something like Dungeons and Dragons, or uh, if you're doing fantasy football also, it's saying that 
that you're going to do something and then letting the world or a roll of a dice or the players on the TV screen, they're going to be handling that next phase. There are a lot of ways now that um, you can have an anxiety-free, really easy experience to, to get you and your friends into gaming. So is that what you're doing with Bread and Circuses? A little bit. Bread and Circuses is a company that I've co-founded with a buddy of mine named Nate Murray. He's He's been around the industry for a while in production end of board games. He's not as big of a game designer as he is more into marketing and distribution and figuring out all of that stuff. We have kind of two goals for our company. The first is that we want to create simple, easy entry-level games. So like we just ran a Kickstarter for a game called Pun Pong. Pretty simple. It's about as easy as it sounds. It's it's about bouncing wordplay puns back and forth to the other player. You know, there's no dice rolling. There's no real heavy rules at all there. It's, it's a party game. The other thing that we're trying to do is trying to kind of build brands. You know, everybody these days is building brands, building IPs. Technology is always changing. Everything becomes obsolete within two years, three years, and I'm always playing catch up. But if I own a character, if I own a brand, that kind of takes on a life of its own and, and worms its way through every form of media at this point. You know, it's a movie, it's a TV show, it's an action figure, it's a board game, it's a video game, it's, it's a, a music album, like whatever it is. Mm -hmm. That's our other goal is to sort of create a couple of brands or foster some brands that are already out there that, that we have kind of ownership of. So it's it's about entertainment, not just in, in tabletop, but entertainment in all aspects of your life. So what's the strategy with something like this then? Because all you have to do is go online these days and you'll see that there's a comic book show, some sort of convention seemingly every weekend. Is it just pounding the pavement? Yeah, yeah, kind of. You know, we also have such a huge social media landscape nowadays. You are in a sea of other games. It's rapidly expanded in the last few years. I'll just give you a little bit of perspective back. About 10 years ago, there were four to 500 board games that came out a year. Five years ago, there were probably Probably eight eight hundred to a thousand games coming out a year. Now, that, uh, does that mean does that mean new games or new oh, new wow, board okay, games? Wow. Just to clarify, no, no. Does that include? Are we talking everything from the stuff that you're producing and Dungeons and Dragons on down to Candyland and Hungry Hungry Hippos and those type of board games you'd find at a Target? Yeah, absolutely. You've got your okay. you know Hasbro Target audiences, and then you've got some of the heavier gamers, a lot of these indie companies, but also some of these big ones. You know, there's a lot of big companies in the gaming industry that maybe everyone hasn't heard of. Fantasy Flight, uh, Cool Mini or not, they are big businesses that make, I mean, millions and millions of dollars a year. This is a this is a billion dollar business now in the board game industry. In 2018 now, there are about 5,000 new board games that come out every year. Uh, so it's, it's kind of like the film industry where um, you have less and less time to pop. It used to be that a board game, it, you'd release it and you'd have like a year of it sitting on the shelf and then it kind of has its heyday. Now you've got a couple of weeks, maybe a month, if you're really lucky, uh, for your game to hit and make a big splash, make a big presence. Um, otherwise, it's just like the film industry. The next movie's coming out next week, and uh, you know, there's there's only so many games that people are really willing to, to shell out for. So you got to do something different. But also, just like the film industry, aren't there ways now that these games sort of expand upon themselves that you can keep building on an existing game? Absolutely. A sequel, so, so to speak? Sequels and, and just expanded content. I'll give you an example. This is the most successful the, the most ultimate kind of success story and expandable content in board gaming. This guy named Adam Poots, he spent five years making a game called Kingdom Death. It's massive. It's huge. The game came out on Kickstarter. The, game, the core game was $350. 
just for this game. And it's a lot of miniatures that you're assembling yourself and you kind of have this hobby aspect of, of painting them, assembling them. But he then wanted to come out with a bunch of expansions. The game is, is fairly simple as far as the concept. You're a group of monster hunters and you go out, you find a monster you want to go hunt, you fight it, you kill it, you harvest its resources, and then you build better gear so that you can go out and fight another more difficult monster. So the game started with like four or five monsters, but then he started doing these expansions and they're not cheap. Like There's what's an expansion? What's so an expansion, expansion could be anywhere from 50 to $150 Whoa. for one monster. One monster. So he had initially 12 expansions that drove the game up to, if you wanted to buy everything at once, $750. Or you could buy the $1,200 version and this includes expansions that haven't even been thought up yet. He's going to be sending you wave after wave of expansion as they become ready all the way through 2020. It's an insane model and this guy alone has made upwards of $10 million off of this game. Isn't that funny how that pendulum swings too? That just a couple years ago, if you were trying to get something going on a Kickstarter, people sort of sneered at you. Oh yeah, and I was just at Gen Con, which is the biggest uh, board gaming convention uh, in, in the US. His booth is, first of all, the most beautiful booth there. But the line to go and buy these expansions, you know, there's just an incredible amount of demand for this game. He did it on Kickstarter uh, initially, and now he's got his own web store up and running. He only sells it on his web store. You can't go and get it in like brick and mortar stores. You can't go and get it, I think, on Amazon or anywhere like that. That's smart, though. It it is. He makes all the money. And literally, when he announces that some of these expansions are back in stock, some of them are gone within five minutes. So he's probably Uh, spending zero on advertising. Oh, yeah. Nothing. So it's something like what you're working on, open-ended like that, that you would be able to expand on it infinitely? I think our goal is more to build different experiences in these universes. We've got this game coming out that's going to be pilot stuff, and that's kind of that whole experience right there. But we've got the comic coming out as well, and then we may have, you know, a light role-playing Dungeons & Dragons type experience come out as well, or, or a dice game, or you know, so that you can build this world with a bunch of different types of experiences to to find different niches and and different bring in people of different tastes so you have this love for video games you develop this passion for board games how does that go from your hobby to what you're doing for a living now i've always sort of dabbled in wanting to be a content creator i I always like to say when i watch tv or play video games i'd say it's research it's research we got really into board games that was sort of when i i really found my my real love of board games and reading rule books and kind of trying to understand the mechanics the kind of the theory behind it like why did this this game make this choice? Why are we rolling 20-sided dice instead of just a bunch of normal six-sided dice? So I, I decided, I, you know, one day, screw it, I'm just going to make my own game. And I had no idea what I was doing. But I had a, I had an idea of all of these kind of pop culture parody characters in a battle arena type game. So like a Pokemon experience where you're collecting and battling these characters. But I wanted them to all have really stupid punny names. So I, I came up with a concept called King of the Creepies. I came up with some ridiculous characters like Hannibal the Cannonball. He, he eats other cannonballs for breakfast. So so I came up with all of these characters, so like 30-something characters, and I spent legit like two years trying to figure out how to make a game out of it. It's not a simple game. I should have probably tried to make a simple game. The other thing I, I did, which probably not how most people are supposed to do this, was I went out and I found an artist and a graphic designer, and I just paid for all of it. All said and done, it was something like close to 200 
100 pieces of art that I'd commissioned. And so from there, I took it to uh, a few different publishers. And I was really lucky living locally in San Diego, where there's like 20 of the biggest board game companies in in the country are located in San Diego. Uh, So I found IDW, which is a comic book publisher. They also do TV shows. They do, they have like Winona Earp. Uh, They also make a lot of board games. So I was able to come in and brought it to them as a sort of a turnkey experience rather than uh, just sort of having mechanics together and having the ideas together and, and selling those off and then saying, you know, you guys come up with the art, you guys come up with the design. I'm just here to make them the rules. I came to them with the full finished package. They were a lot more willing to take a chance on me because I kind of had done all the work for them. It was a really low risk proposition for them at that point. They released the game. It did all right, but it got my foot in the door. And so then I spent the next year and a half going to every single convention, going to 10 conventions a year, just trying to pedal and and sell off the other games that I'd been building. I built up a, a repertoire of about five games that I felt good about. I sort of just went off and and just got rejected over and over and over and over again <laughs> for for about a year and a half until I finally got some luck. I'd been making a game called Cat Dungeon. It was basically Munchkin. Um, if you're not aware, Munchkin is a game no that idea. came out. Munchkin came out about 15 years ago. Uh, it's a pretty simple game. It's a card game. It's it's very light on the rules. It's very kind of a silly game. Basically, by by virtue of cultural inertia, this game has only become more popular over the years, and that's because they have released 4,000 different iterations of this game. 4,000? A, a, a thousand under different licenses. Adventure Time Munchkin. You've got Cthulhu uh. Munchkin. You've got Vampire Munchkin. And so I built this game called Cat Dungeon that un, uh, uh, unaware, like like vaguely aware, I had basically made Munchkin Cat Edition. And I was peddling it around and nobody was buying it until finally a company came back and they said, well, we've got a new Munchkin game coming out. We've got to do Munchkin Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We've already seen you've basically built a Munchkin game. Would you like to handle the development of making Munchkin Ninja Turtles? And I said, heck yeah. I've been a huge fan of Ninja Turtles since I was a a very small child. There's a drawing on my mom's wall right now still uh, framed of a a drawing of Krang the Brain that I drew when I was five years old. So uh, I was very excited to work on that game and that really kind of got me into the industry once i had a big license under my belt and then all of a sudden i was getting more pitch meetings people were actually wanting my games and now here i am a you know a year later and um I've got more work than I can handle in the game industry. I'm, I'm quite busy. So it's been a it's been quite a, a journey to get here. I did it in kind of a weird way that most most game designers don't do. How does a typical game designer get there if, if not by doing it the way you did? Sure, there's a couple of ways. The, the kind of tried and true method, the one that is most done is that you go to all these conventions or you send your prototypes to all of these different uh, publishers and you just keep hustling with your idea of a game. The other thing that people have really been doing lately that's taken off is self-publishing through Kickstarter. I'm just going to go on to Kickstarter and, and go directly to the consumers. I mean, you got to be lucky no matter what, but but with Kickstarter, it's it, you really got to squeak through and, and just be the that one in a million that for some reason pops. And there's all kinds, there's all levels of designers. You know, there's there are people who make their first game and it makes them $10 million. And there are people who are on their 30th game and they can't fund. What's the dream project? <laughs> 
there's two like, there's two answers. The first is I'd love to make King of the Creepies as a miniatures game. I love miniatures. I love painting miniatures. I love the hobby aspect. Um, I'd love for it to become like the next Pokemon or something like that. But if I could do a license, like a something that already existed, I would want to make a Goonies game so badly. Oh, uh, like like an RPG, like a Dungeons and Dragons set in the yeah. Goonies world. You get to create yeah. your own Goonie. Right. You you are uh. your own kind of group of goonies and you're going through you know and trying to find treasure and go through these hunts uh, and you're dealing with booby traps and the fratellis and like or crime whatever i would just love to make a goonies game john you make that game i am there day one to play it with you That is really inspiring stuff. It is such a cool time to be alive when we have all these different options to really turn our ideas into tangible things and then oftentimes turn those tangible things into a business of our own. Uh, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with John. I encourage you to check him out at Bread and Circuses on Facebook. And if you've never played Dungeons and Dragons or any type of game like that, I really encourage you to give it a go. I'll give you a little peek behind the curtain. I didn't play my first Dungeons and Dragons campaign till I was 30 years old, and John was my dungeon master. He held my hand through the whole experience and really turned it into one of the most fun times of my life. If it's something you've always been curious about, but a little scared to try, find a group of curious friends and get ready to have the time of your life. Well, that's it for today. I'm gonna go find me another interesting person to talk to so I have something to play for you next time. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll talk again soon. Last call, everybody. I don't know what I did.